Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Where Is This Going? If you're listening to the show right now, I want to please urge you to take a second and rate and review the show on Apple's podcast app. That would be super helpful. And also, while you're at it, please make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel that you can find by searching my name, Felix Levine, on YouTube. If you're a fan or a sponsor looking to get in touch with me, please visit my website, felix-levine.com, where you can find all information about myself and the show, as well as all of my episodes in both video and audio formats, photos from every recording, and all contact information available for you there handy. I also want to give a massive shout out to my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. They do not use any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. All of U.S. Wellness Meats' beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. They specialize in a variety of special diets and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly options. Go to uswellnessmeats.com today, and when you use promo code PODCAST, you'll get 15% off store-wide savings on everything at uswellnessmeats.com. Go check them out today. And my next guest, he is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and is a three-time international best-selling author, top 100 business coach, and a whole other long list of accolades. Please welcome David Meltzer. And we're live. David Meltzer, sir, thank you uh, for taking the time today. Uh, as, I, as I said before, it means a lot that, uh, for you to, uh, to have joined me on the show today. Yeah, of course, what a pleasure. I know you and I will create some great stories and lessons to help people empower them to simply be happy, which is my main mission in life. Exactly. And uh, so before we get into it, I told you just a few seconds ago, uh, there's a lot of stuff in the world about you. You've done a lot of podcasts, books, everything. Is there a little tidbit, a little story, perhaps something about you that the world may not already know that from what's out there? You know, I'll tell a story that's relevant today and hopefully a lesson with it. Um, when I was a third year law student, I was a, in the civil clinic, so I could practice law with a supervising attorney. Uh, my roommate got thrown out of a bar, and when we went to go get him, he was getting beat up by a Louisiana police officer. I approached the police officer and said, hey, I'm Dave Meltzer. You know, I'm an attorney under rule, whatever, Louisiana bar. And I asked why he's being arrested. And the police officer said, he was an off-duty police officer that was bouncing at the bar. He grabbed me and said, shut up or whatever. And so I walked away and there was no cell phones back then, no pictures back then. But with a piece of paper and a pen, I was taking names and phone numbers of witnesses. And when the on-duty police officers arrived, they uh, went down, you know, and my, my friend's head was bleeding. He was banging his head against the brick wall outside the bar and everyone was, you know, yelling police abuse and everything. And, uh, the police officer said, grab the guy on the striped shirt. I looked down. I was like, Oh no. And, uh, I basically, you know, was a victim of a little bit of police brutality. My roommate was a serious one. They said, uh, anti-Semitic and racist. Rem- 
marks to us. Uh, I thought they weren't going to take us to the police station. Expunging everything. My, my roommate ended up suing the police department. This is back in the early 90s and winning a judgment. But the reason I bring this story up is that even though all of that happened, I don't claim to know what it's like to be in other people's shoes that are discriminated against. This was my own personal isolated incidents of discrimination. One that I'll never forget, but I don't know what it's like to walk in my neighborhood and if the police goes by, think, you know, hairs on my, my neck stand up that something's going to happen to me or every time I get pulled over thinking this could be the end of my life or I, I don't know what that's like. And the reason I say that is that, you know, I really want people to know that we are all unified, but not equal. We, we are one. And so if my brother is afraid, then I'm afraid. Right, even though I haven't experienced it or could understand it, and my purpose here is to help people understand that a tree has no branches. One branch will not go to war against another branch. It doesn't make sense, and so we have to stop separating each other with attacking thoughts and attacking negativity. Let's think in the context of unification. Ninety-nine percent of the people on Earth, let alone the United States, want to be unified, which is much stronger than being equal. And if we could just Go ahead and somehow gather up the 1% of the bad eggs out there that get all the attention, right? This world would be an extraordinary place, which is why I'm on a mission to empower others, to empower others to be happy, create a collective consciousness of abundance and unification. Now, for you as a, as, as a business leader and someone that a lot of people look up to, um, you know, and especially today, as you, as you just pointed out, are there ways in which you look to unify? Um, maybe different tactics that you could suggest for other, whether it's business, entrepreneurs, whatever it is, you know, teammates even, um, coaches. How do you, are there things in, in your long, you know, time working with individuals and, you know, sometimes being the boss, having people ahead of you, whatever it is, uh, that you've seen as the most effective ways to unify from a, you know, from a leadership standpoint? Well, one is the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of that right? 99% of the people quit after. So we got those good 99 percenters. 99% of those people quit after 25% of being there. So they'll protest. They'll stick up for everyone. They'll put up the, the black matters, you know, all the, but at 25%, either apathy or they'll start putting their attention in on something else. And so what my platform, what I want to do, I'm using my training on Friday so that we can continue the progress, continue the productive conversation, figure out how are we going to make a difference within the context of without hurting other people, without creating separation. Let's use our higher power of thinking to, in order to effectuate. Look, I've been able to make millions of dollars in my life, right? I, I'm someone joined with everyone else that we can figure out how to collectively speed up the change that's necessary and the change that's been happening. It's just happening too slow and we can't quit. Now there's something that, that this big common theme, um, you know, the past couple of days has been really uh, watching a lot of different interviews you've done and, and studying you and your career. Um, but there's one kind of theme that really sticks out to me of, you know, and you talk about it often about this, this idea of service. You want to help others. You, you wake up hoping God puts 10 people in front of you that you can help, right? That idea. Um, where does that kind of come from? I mean, you know, is it something uh, kind of a, a value that that your parents taught you? Uh, you know, how do you because it's it's a really a, a giving back approach. I mean, I know you talk about that in a lot of different ways with gratitude and all that. But um, I'm more curious as to if you were always like this, 
Was a young David Meltzer as a, as, a, as a young kid the same way? Did something happen that might've changed that? I mean, talk about that development and how you see this as, you know, one of your big, biggest core values, if you will. Well, it's an evolution. Uh, number one, I think having that realistic approach that we all evolved. Now, I was naturally inclined to be of service. My actual name, David, means beloved. My last name means waiter, servant. So, uh, you know, it was pressed upon me at a young age that I was a beloved servant and that I was to give. Now, it evolved from me living in a world of not enough as a victim. And the only way I would give is if I would get something back. Uh, then being a millionaire and a multimillionaire, I moved to a world of just enough for me. And I gave a lot, but I always was wanted something in return. If I gave even a down payment for my brother to buy a house, I wanted something in return. If I donated money to a charity, I wanted recognition and acknowledgement. You know, it's like ridiculous trader uh, that I was. And then when two years before I lost everything, I actually shifted my paradigm. I started realizing you know what? I'm going to live in this abundant world. I'm tired of buying things I don't need. I'm tired of trying to impress people I don't like. I'm simply going to use everything I have to receive as much as I can, to make as much money as I can, to give it away. And I wasn't going to have any conditions when I gave it away because all my attention and intention was on the receiving side. And then I had to focus on allowing it to come through me staying in an abundant perspective, more than enough of everything for everyone. Because if you don't have that perspective, if you don't trust and have faith that there's more than enough of everyone for everyone, and you focus in on receiving, you'll turn back into a just enough creature. You'll start trading and you'll give it away, but expect something back. And all these different conditions and judgments that interfere and corrode the flow that has allowed me to keep receiving more and more and keep giving more and more. So it was an evolution from the world, a scarce world of not enough to a scarce world of just enough to the abundant world of more than enough. And when you went from not enough to more than enough or an abundant amount, did you, you know, you talk about, I mean, I know you, you had a lot of money when you were young. Um, did you feel at that point true happiness? I mean, you know, that's kind of like my mom personally always talks to me about if you're not happy, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter this, that, the other thing. For you, um, you know, I want to know your experience as someone who's, uh, who didn't have enough when they were younger and then had an abundance. And if that, you know, brought you that happiness that you were looking for, or if you realized that it wasn't, that wasn't what was going to bring you that happiness and you, and you were looking for happiness in other ways. So let me change a little bit. So I was always happy, always been happy. I was born with the happy gene. So I always say it's difficult because if you're depressed or biochemically imbalanced and you, you can't just tell them, hey, look at the, the glass half full. Don't kill yourself. Just look at the glass half full. No, no, no. It's a practice, right? So I was blessed to be a happy kid. Uh, but I will tell you, the only time I wasn't happy as the not enough kid was when I didn't have money. A uh, car would break. I catch my mom crying over financial stress all the time. She was divorced with six kids, working two jobs. So in my mind, my relationship with money is it would buy me the missing piece of happiness. And what happened was it never did. Mm -hmm. um, and so that hope of attaching my happiness to an outcome that once I make over a million dollars, I'll be happy all the time. Well, once I make over a hundred million dollars, I'll be happy all the time. What I realized about money, because I do think it's important, as you know, my motto, make a lot of money to help a lot of people have a lot of fun, is money does not buy happiness. It wasn't going to ever buy me the last piece. But what it would do 
is it would allow me to shop. And if I shopped for the right things, I could find the missing pieces. Mm. I could buy community centers in Africa. I could give scholarships for kids to go to college. I could pay money to the relief fund to help people that don't have food. And these types of things with my money, right? I could provide better education and health and safety for my own children. I could provide a better place to live for my family. These make me happy, right? I I just have to tell you, and they have provided me that missing piece. And so I love my own spiritual pragmatic view of two currencies, one money. So I think a lot of spiritual people, they encourage people more to like sit at home, high on their mom's couch, broke and, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm a law of Goya, like John Asaroff, right? Get off my ass and make it happen, but appreciate in a spiritual sense, the materialization of what I've created or co-created or collaborated, and then manifest something better by allowing it to come through me for others. Now, if I told a, a young David Meltzer, he would be sitting here today, um, you know, with the career that you had, uh, that you've had so far, what, what would a young David Meltzer say? Is this the, the life that you imagined? Is this what you hoped for when you, were, when you were young? I mean, I'm more interested at that, you know, evolution that we talked about of, you know, what, what successful people were like when they were younger, if there were certain turning events or certain moments that kind of triggered, you know, little epiphany of, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do with my life. Uh, what was, you know, a young David Meltzer like? And, and if I, t- and, you know, if you told him at 10 years old, this is where he'd be today, what would he say? Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to come across, but I think a young David Meltzer probably would have seen himself as more Donald Trump, you know, an aggressive capitalist president that was living a world just for me. Um, and, and I don't mean to be political. I'm talking about the money sense of what I believe to be abundance or scarcity. Um, I literally, like, that's the type of individual that I saw myself as hyper-aggressive, hyper-competitive, hyper-for-me. Uh, and so I, I want to have seen myself, you know, in the realm. I, I pitch myself when I say I, I'm in the realm of Bob Proctor, Jack Canfield, Reverend Beckwith, uh, all my peers today, Blaine Bartlett, Cynthia Kersey, Chairman of the Unstoppable Foundation, Chief Chancellor of Junior Achievement University with Brian Tracy. You know, all, like that to me, you know, at best I would have been Zig Ziglar. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Never would I believed um, that I would have the awareness uh, that I have and the compassion that I've built um, and be able to reconcile that with the entrepreneurship and the compassionate capitalism that I do. Now, I want to take you back. Uh, you know, you talked about, and I, I know more about these details because I've, I've watched more of your interviews, but, but for people that, that aren't familiar with your story, um, you talk about this, this moment of success and then you lose it all, Right. And I think that that's always super interesting to see how these successful people um, through a variety of fields. I mean, I have a UFC fighter who talks about their lowest point. So for me, it's like, uh, first of all, will you maybe give a, a quick summary for people who aren't familiar with that of what it means to lose it all in, in your case? And then um, talk about maybe your mindset. What's going on at your, in your mind at that point? Uh, and then how you ultimately pick yourself back up, the adjustments you make, how you kind of self-analyze your, yourself at that point in time and life from that point on? Sure, a little bit to unpack there, but I'll do my best to do it quickly. Um, I'm one of the weirdos. I hit rock bottom two years before I lost everything. My wife gave me an ultimatum, told me she wasn't happy, told me to take stock in who I was. I saw a jacket in my closet that my dad gave me to remind me that I was just like him. I realized at that time in my life, 
every reason I hated my father for being a liar, cheater, manipulator, overseller, and backend seller was now what I hated about myself. Mm. So I took stock in gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. Two years later, I lost over $100 million. I was prepared for it. Not as well prepared as I am in 2020, because uh, I'm not losing everything. I'm very well prepared to help people during this time and to provide myself many more opportunities so I can help more people. But at that time when I lost everything, uh, the interesting step was, did I really trust the universe? Did I really have faith? And I took my first paycheck. I was running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, the most notable sports agency in the world. I took my first check, brought it home and asked my wife if we could write a check for a scholarship for a kid to go to college from our high school. My wife and I had gone to the same school since the fourth grade. She looked at me and she said, wow, you finally get it. You finally trust the universe. And I said, I do. I have faith. I get what you were talking about. Thank you. Thank you for healing me. And she said, then double it. At that time, I said, no, I don't trust the universe that much. <laughs> I think it's important because I gave you the mindset of the evolution that everybody comes along. It's a practice, right? I, I, I try, that, That's a big step to take your first paycheck when you have a rented house, rented furniture, rented car. You don't are making that much money. You have a pregnant wife with your fourth child, three girls under 10, and you're giving a big part of your paycheck for a scholarship for someone else. That's a lot of faith, right? Off right. of bankruptcy, yeah. but not as much faith as my wife has. And so that just, you know, to me is the biggest lesson and how my perspective had changed. And I've kept that perspective and I've never stopped living in the world of more than enough. And I can tell you in 2020, when there's so many people living in fear and ego-based consciousness and scarcity, uh, I'm living in abundance. And is that what you say, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but on a daily basis, are there different steps that, that you take to, you know, to see that you're successful, but also to humble yourself? I mean, you know, this, this, this kind of idea of humbling yourself, this really, for me at least, is what I took away from, from that story. And it's, um, you know, and how do you, I mean, there's a sign behind you that says get 1% better every day, right? Um, staying humble continuing to progress. How do you work your mindset now? I mean, I'm sure it's different than when you're 20 uh, to get 1% better every day to try to manage being a father while also being a businessman. I mean, how do all these things kind of work together? And you know, what did it take for you to, to get that, that formula down? If was it that moment in time? It's taken the last 14 years to come up with five things uh, to create radical humility in my life, uh, which is to me being a ferocious Buddha. And I'll get to that, but, but he is a lesson when people ask, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Same lesson I tell my 52-year-old self, be radically humble. Let me just fly through them real quick for everyone. So number one is take inventory of your values every day. Personal values, experiential values, giving and receiving values. Every day, don't be afraid to be a hypocrite. If your values change, that's good. That means you're changing. That means you're learning, growing, accelerating. Remember, pain is an indicator. It's just like a turn light. It's just indicating you have a lesson to learn physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial. You just have a lesson to learn, change direction and learn the lesson. You're either going to go to a better place or make your better, your place better. But pain is the indicator. So don't be afraid of pain. Don't fight it. Just learn from it. The second thing is uh, asking and attracting. There's only two series of questions in life that you need to ask. You need to ask them in person on the phone, via email or social media, radio, print or TV, all media. You need to ask a series of questions of how you can provide service to your value. So I wake up every day and ask God, please provide me at least 10 people that I can help. 
so that I can do that in person on the phone via email or social media. And then the second is the more humbling one, the one that took me years and years and years to figure out. Uh, I used to think everyone was a gatekeeper, that everybody I had to over convince, sell, manipulate, go around, under, through, resistance, void, shortages only existed in my way from what I wanted. But in an abundant world, everybody's a sponsor, uh, meaning that they know somebody that can help me or they're a power sponsor. They can help me themselves and know someone that can help me. So ask a series of questions of how people can help you and learn that question. Do you know anybody that can help me? The more you do that, I have more people during this COVID period of time, this depression that we're in, tell me that I changed their life, that they made millions of dollars because I taught them to ask. Brilliant. But yes, I get it. It changed my life as well. For three, go ahead. Sorry, for people that, first of all, those those free trainings, I think that you perhaps are alluding to, those are on Fridays for people who are interested in that. Um, but also, you know, for me, it's, uh, and I was t- hearing you in an interview, you talking about this this idea of being able to ask, right? Uh, for people who haven't attended those free trainings, which I'm sure they will after listening right now, will you give them a small, uh, you know, a small way or small couple tips that you can uh, use if they want to learn how to ask? Because I think you're 100% right. And, you know, I'm 20 years old. Uh, I'm just getting into to this world, this professional world. Um, and I've noticed in my small time the power of asking. But, you know, I know that that goes so much farther down the line. And I think that, you know, listening to someone like you talk about the importance um, is truly important. So for, you know, coming from a specialist like you, will you give for the people listening that aren't sure, just a couple little ways that uh, they can at least improve on uh, being able to ask and finding comfort and confidence when they when they do ask. Yeah, so the secret asking is under a platform of being more interested than interesting, which is a piece of advice my brother gave me uh, when I was 18. <laughs> and so what you want to do is ask an open-ended question, right? Interested people will ask simply, hey, how are you? Where are you from? And then what are you doing? Oh, what do you like about that? What don't you like about that? And then keep on narrowing questions to figure out how you can provide service or value. So you could say something like, hey, would it help you if I found you a babysitter? Hey, would it help you if I raised you a million dollars? Hey, would it help you if I gave you a coat? You know, there's a variety of ways that we can figure out how we could be of service or value. And then same series of questions to figure out, hey, you know, I've been working on this. I like this. You know what I'm really missing? Uh, I'm missing a book with 32 pages. Do you know anyone that has one? Right? That That's literally how to do it. And it's a practice. Every single thing that I'm talking about here today is a practice. And the more you practice, the more acceleration you'll get towards it and the more growth that you'll get through it. Meaning that it'll take you twice as long to get to 25% as it does to 50% and twice as much time to get to 50% than it does to get you 100 and twice as much from 100 to it keeps narrowing down like this until you're doubling what you used to do every day. And that truth occurs in my life. And now we're going to take a quick break because I want to talk to you about my friends over at Manscaped. Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Did you know that April is Testicular Cancer Awareness Month? Or did you also know one guy every hour, every day is diagnosed with testicular cancer? So this is a reminder to all of the men listening out there to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Manscaped, in addition to providing the right tools and solutions for safe and easy manscaping, 
Landscaping has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to spread awareness for men's health and early cancer detection. Together, the Testicular Cancer Society and Manscaped are committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men ages 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Save Balls initiative. Manscaped recommends you check yourself at least once a month, and if you feel any lumps or swelling, give your doctor an immediate call. In addition to checking yourself regularly, you may want to check out the Perfect Package 3.0. Inside the Perfect Package, you'll find their electric trimmer called the Lawn Mower 3.0. This is the absolute best trimmer out there on planet Earth, and this waterproof electric trimmer also has a skin-safe technology that'll protect you from nicking your sack. The Perfect Package comes with a whole lot of gadgets, including the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, and anti-chafing performance boxer briefs that keep your package cool and smelling fresh all day. Join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today. Also, learn more about the testicular cancer screening at manscaped.com slash we-save-balls and share their educational video that may help save lives and many balls. Always use the right tools for the job when manscaping. Go to manscaped.com right now today and you will save 20% off and free shipping when you use the code WTG. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping when you use code WTG at manscaped.com. Please raise awareness for this great cause and go take care of yourself and keep yourself clean. And let's get back into it. And how do you, I mean, how do you ask someone for something uh, while also remaining authentic, right? Because sometimes I think there's this, uh, you know, this is maybe just me, but there's this personal fear that sometimes you might reach out and you want to, you want to ask in a nice way. You want to be polite. And, but at the same time, you're also trying to get what you want. And sometimes the person across from you might feel like, oh, they're just using me, right? How do you uh, differentiate, you know, asking uh, authentically and out of true desire without, you know, manipulating or making the other person feel that they're being quote unquote used. So there's two ways, provide more value than you're asking for. Then you're giving, right? So if you're able to provide more value and say, hey, can I wash your car? Can I come do your lawn? Can I do this? And then ask, right? In the values, right? Because if you're fulfilling someone's need, but the other one is the paradigm of giving. And so, you know, it is an illusion that you feel bad. What if I told you that you are giving a gift to someone by allowing them to help you? That, that's a huge compliment, that you're creating a flow. That they, It just depends on where your values are set. So this was my biggest problem through the majority of my life is that I felt it was humble to keep helping people and giving and doing all that, but it was manipulating, lying, cheating, overselling uh, to go ahead and ask for someone to do something for me. And then I realized, man, I sure enjoy doing things for people. Why don't I give that opportunity to that person? And if they say no, or they feel manipulated, that's on them. I'll go ask somebody else. There's 4.4 billion people alone on the internet I could ask. You know how many years it'll take me to get to each one of them? And you know what? If me asking you for help offends you, then you're not someone I want to be around anyway. Now, also for you, I mean, you know, if I told you in five years, you're going to be at X. Or what do you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you think about those, you know, do you, do you set goals for yourself? I mean, do you, do you have short-term, longer-term plans? I mean, what's, you know, I mean, you have a brand, you have a big company. I mean, there's so much going on. Uh, 
how do you how do you establish those you know goals and those uh, five ten year plans for yourself? Yeah, so for me, it's the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my potential. So I go through those five things, right? My values, asking and attract things, doing the calendar, doing it now, and practicing any fear. But for me, I have long-term goals. The problem is for most people, they don't know how to detach their their uh, emotions to that outcome. So let's say, for example, uh, my son's 10. When he's 18, right? I want to have a different life when he goes to college, right? I do not want to go to offices or travel without my wife. So that's one of my objectives, to be in a position to do that, that she can travel with me and we go see the kids and do all that. But I, I don't, you know, manipulate or, or predispose how I'm going to get there, right? And, and I'm, I also said I'm very comfortable being a hypocrite. So my values change tomorrow. I'm not locked in. My emotions aren't attached. I'll give you an example, one other one. I thought about getting a bay house in San Diego, a, a bigger one with a walk-in closet and all that. And, I, I, you know, maybe two, three years kind of thinking about it when, you know, 10 years from now when my son goes to college. I've changed my mind like six times since then, right? And because why? It's a whole different economic scene right now, right? There's a whole bunch of different real estate opportunities. And it's like, why would I invest in that when I can buy a high rise downtown, you know, and own a hundred million dollar business instead of one beach house because prices are, you know, who knows? So I think people have to keep their options open. And if you take the focus of the journey, meaning every day, do those five things that I teach, but most importantly, enjoy it. Enjoy the consistent, everyday, persistent pursuit of your potential. Learn to love 100% of what you're doing. Learn to realize that nobody loves 100% naturally. So you're going to always have to learn to love the portion that you don't automatically love. Sometimes yeah. it's more, sometimes it's less. Same procedure, though. Now, I just have a, a couple couple more questions. But um, I'm also really curious, you know, when, when you see uh, successful people and throughout a long career... And the, sometimes the people that aren't talked about enough are, are the spouses, right? Because they see truly everything. Talk about, um, you know, what it's like uh, to, to work as, a, as, a, as an accomplished, um, you know, entrepreneur for so long, manage a family, manage a wife, and kind of the role that, uh, you know, your wife has played throughout everything. I mean, it seems, you know, from that, that earlier story that she has kept you in check, right? Um, she's shown you the reality of, of who you are at what times. But, um, you know, I think it's, you know, without getting obviously too into it, uh, just talk about the role and and kind of uh, that support that you perhaps needed and um, what it's meant to you over over time. So one thing is I never lied to myself and said I was going to live a balanced life uh, by day by day. I will live a balanced life in the aggregate. So my personal values by the end of my life would be 25%. 25% would be spent on experiences 25% on my receiving, 25% on my giving. That's my goal in the aggregate when I die, when I'm over 111. But my wife, it falls into what I call an adaptable routine. I'm very set on my values. So every day I spend a minimum of an hour a day on my health. That's because my health is the most important thing of this journey. Mm -hmm. The reason being is if I don't take care of myself, nothing else I could take care of. It doesn't matter. And my wife helped me understand that. The next is I spend a minimum of 30 minutes a day with my wife, minimum 30 minutes with my 10-year-old, minimum of two minutes a day with three teenage daughters who I asked for five, they gave me two. <laughs> a minimum of one minute with my mom. 
you know, if I give you, you're 20 years old, if you start this today, I promise you, your parents, your relationship with your parents, which, you know, being 20 must have some room for improvement because I have a 21 year old and an 18 year old. Um, but there's probably room for improvement there. If you just told your parents every day, no matter what, that one, you're happy, two, that you're healthy, three, that you love them, and four, that you appreciate them. If you didn't even tell them, if you just texted them every day, I promise you your relationship would exponentially grow and flourish beyond your imagination. And so that's what I did. So the key to balance is prioritization by day. That's why taking inventory of value is so important because I'm enjoying every day and every day what's important to me, whether it's my wife, right? I know right now, every day, these are my values. And look, I, she might you know, start getting mean to me. I might only give her 10 minutes a day. Who knows? Or I could like fall even more and say minimum of an hour a day. Right? I don't know. But I'm a realist. I'm a pragmatist. I believe two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. I want a relationship with those people most important with me every day. I want a relationship with my own body every day. And then I'm a student in my calendar with my time because that's the aggregate of what I have planned, what I don't have planned in my sleep. And I'm prioritizing by what's most important first every single day. Beautiful. And uh, I mean, you know, hopefully there's still so many more long years of life ahead. But do you ever think about legacy? Do you ever think about, uh, you know, how you hope to be remembered? Yeah, very simple to me. And it's probably the other side that's not here. It's just kindness. Right? Like, it's so powerful. Like you take any situation going on today, right? Any situation, and they say, oh, Mr. Meltzer, what, what's your answer? What would a kind person do? I promise you there's no better answer. No better answer. What would a kind police officer do? What would a kind person do? What would a kind protester do? What would a kind teacher do? What would a kind student do? To me, if you know, I'm able to empower people to be happy, and all of those people say, what do you think of David Meltzer? And oh man, what a kind person. Man, that's a legacy that I stick to the entire, multiple lifetimes. Beautiful. You can follow uh, David on Instagram and Twitter at David Meltzer. His website, dmeltzer.com. He's got books. He's got his podcast, The Playbook, and his free trainings on Friday, as I, as I alluded to. Um, David, truly, truly uh, an honor to, to have you on my show, um, you know. Uh, I've followed you for a while and, and your inspiration and your, and your kindness and gratitude uh, speaks volumes. So, you know, I hope one day when you're in New York City, I can bring you back into the studio. And um, in the meantime, uh, all my best to you. And uh, thank you for taking the time today. You got it, man. I cannot wait to get back to New York City. And I absolutely will see you. Please, everybody join me Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern for my training. Uh, this week's a straight town hall. I'm going to answer questions to help people reconcile their feelings and their pro productive behavior to create productive change and not quit. So please join me Fridays. I appreciate the opportunity and the platform to empower others to empower others to be happy. Thank you.